Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people with kidney disease discover us. We really appreciate it. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the National Kidney Foundation. In 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned precedent established by Roe v. Wade, eliminating the constitutional right to abortion. Family planning decisions can be difficult and complex for kidney patients. I'm Marlena Chesner, host of Hot Topics in Kidney Health, and today we'll discuss how this impacts kidney patients and disadvantaged patients with limited access to health care. Hi, my name is Harriet Oppenheim. I am a kidney transplant recipient as of September 16, 2014. I'm native of Mississippi, but I'm currently living in D.C. I'm Andrea Oliverio. I'm a nephrologist um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the University of Michigan. And I'm Monica Reynolds. I'm an adult nephrologist um, at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Andrea and Monica, you wrote an editorial in the American Journal of Kidney Disease entitled, Overturning Roe Will Do Harm to Our Patients. Can you tell me what inspired you to write this editorial? Both Monica and I feel strongly about providing comprehensive, patient-centered kidney care. And part of that includes reproductive health care. Um, and that's a particular interest of both of us, and we've worked together on many projects previously. So we were watching this in the news unfold, and we felt really strongly about advocating for our patients' choice and access to what we think is you know, comprehensive reproductive health care, and to kind of bring attention to this um, issue for kidney patients in particular. That's exactly right. And first and foremost, it really is for for our patients to show them that, you know, we care about this issue, we care about, you know, their ability to seek abortion as part of, you know, reproductive health care. And then I think we also were, you know, wanting to kind of be a voice for our colleagues who are also upset by the overturning of Roe and kind of also standing in solidarity with our OB-GYN colleagues who provide them reproductive health care. For all those reasons, I think we wanted to really expose specifically in chronic kidney disease patients what uh, overturning Roe and kind of losing our constitutional right to abortion does um, for our group of patients and sort of these like chaotic ramifications that have come um, since then. So how has it been received? Have any alternative viewpoints emerged that you've heard of? For me, it's been well received so far, certainly kind of through the social media and like Twitter People have been um, happy to see it. People in the nephrology world have been happy that, you know, that we kind of put this to paper and sort of shared it um, with the community. I haven't really received negative feedback. I don't know about Andrea. Yeah, I agree with Monica. The reception that I've received to the for our editorial has largely been positive from our colleagues. Um, many of our colleagues support the, you know, reproductive choice and access for our patients as well. They care for them. Wonderful. So, moving away from the paper just a little bit, Harriet, could you please tell me about your experience with family planning and pregnancy as in terms of your kidney disease? Yes. Actually, I was diagnosed with kidney failure in 
November of 2011 and unfortunately had to get on dialysis. So I was a dialysis patient for at least about three years. And of course that was devastating because I was in my twenties, <laughs> my late twenties, a new lawyer at the time, a civil rights lawyer at the time, and really just wanted to just, you know, live and end up getting married during the same year that I received my living donor kidney transplant. And of course, you know, in my early, well, excuse me, late twenties at that time, when you get just getting married, you know, the thing you want to move on and, you know, eventually start a family. Of course, we knew that would be hard if I was on dialysis. So once we did receive the kidney, we were like, okay, well, maybe this is a possibility. And so we did talk to both a high risk OBGYN, of course, my nephrologist, and both of them gave us, uh, my husband and I, the full, the real McCoy, you know, they told us it would be very high risk and the options would be, of course, if we had to choose, they would choose me um, over the baby. And at that time, of course, we were living in Mississippi. Mississippi only had, at that time in 2016, only one abortion clinic had very limited access. I think at the time it was still in a lot of lawsuits. And so it was, it was very challenging, you know, to know that you know, if complications arise, I know that they'll choose me instead of the, the baby, because of course, number one is me. And of course the kidney from nephrologists, they always refer to the, the life of the the, the transplant. They're like, they're, that's my number one concern. And so we understood that going in. And luckily at that time, we did have access to abortion. So we did understand those risks. Um, but those were risks that we were willing to take. Um, luckily, I was younger at the time and didn't have too many other complications. Of course, I had a kidney transplant on top of a lupus, which caused it. But I understood that I would have to be heavily monitored and, of course, uh, lots and lots of medicine. Of course, if you are a kidney patient when you're pregnant, uh, you are at high risk of getting a blood clot. So I understood that I had to have daily um, blood clotting injections. And so I was willing to go through it. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I, you know, I, I, I want to feel what it's like to have a baby. And so luckily we had no complications during pregnancy, which is a lifesaver. Um, we also knew that we were warned that the baby may come early and the baby did. <laughs> he came at 35 and a half weeks. Uh, which my nephrologist was surprised because she was like, I doubt you will make it past 32 weeks. And so uh, we eventually had to take it because my creatinine, which is um, levels, which is kind of like a level they use to determine your kidney function, they were getting higher and higher, which is a bad thing. And so they decided, okay, we need to induce. And so we induced and we had a healthy baby boy, Salam. I was not prepared for the aftermath. Of, of it all. Um, there was hemorrhaging. I had to stay in the hospital for a while. My creatinine level kept increasing and I also caught an E. coli infection. <laughs> so at least to stay like the baby was ready to, to actually leave the, the hospital. It's just mom had to stay uh, an extra two weeks in the hospital. Um, but even luckily through all of that, I was still able to breastfeed. We had to even deal with like the toxic toxicology department because some of the transplant medicines I have can uh, be toxic to the baby. So I had to time when I took my medicine, wait four hours after that, then I could start feeding him and things like that. But it was worth it because he became a little chubster under my breast milk. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, you talk about uh, Roe, of course, um, I'm very familiar with the attorney actually who even 
took on that case against the state of Mississippi. It's ironic that I am from the state of Mississippi. I actually used to be a poster child for the clinic defenders there because we say, look at her. What if we don't, she doesn't have that option, uh, especially at the time I was on dialysis. You know, what if she gets pregnant? Uh, what are her options if she doesn't have it? She, you know, she's going to die. You know, you want to save a life. Why don't you donate a kidney to her? <laughs> you know, <laughs> none, none, none suggested, you know, they... <laughs> None offered. <laughs> and so, uh, but now, of course, if I, you know, if I'm still living in Mississippi, I do know people who are, who are of childbirthing age in Mississippi who have transplants or just kidney patients. And if they get pregnant and there are complications, they have very few choices. They can, of course, can't get an abortion in Mississippi. So they're limited. And so it's horrific. I do feel really bad and just um, just devastated about the whole situation. So that's my little part as a patient and as kind of like an advocate. Andrea. So as a result of Roe being overturned, the landscape of access to abortion has become extremely complex. Can you explain your position about how this impacts kidney patients and disadvantaged patients with limited access to healthcare? After the overturning of Roe and Casey, um, under Dobbs, really states individually govern the legality of abortion. And that includes, you know, whether or not it's a, um, legal, the timing, any delays um, that might be necessary in order to have an abortion. And so this is very heterogeneous across the United States now. And Harriet probably can speak to that um, and from a, a law perspective um, more eloquently than I can. But it's really hard to follow how complicated things are across states and especially in states outside of your own state um, where even keeping up there is difficult. And for patients who, you know, have limited access within their state, you know, their choice is, is significantly limited. And for our patients who have fewer resources, um, resources to travel, resources to wait, um, to take multiple days off of work, the choices become even more limited um, and access becomes even more difficult to get to that care. And, and research shows really that people who come from more disadvantaged or uh, minoritized backgrounds have a harder time getting the care that they need and that they want. Yeah, I think it um, comes back again to that concept of like reproductive justice, you know, it's beyond kind of having the choice, but it's also about having the access. And even before Roe was overturned, right, there were multiple um, legislations that came to limit access. You know, currently, I think the quote is that about 10% of U.S. counties have a provider for abortion care. So either a procedural or medical abortion. So, and that number is shrinking, right? So our patients, um, you know, we see disparities in care with with chronic kidney disease and diagnosis and treatment with pregnancy care, but this is true for abortion care as well, that these communities, communities of color, LGBTQ individuals, those with lower socioeconomic status or people just who live in like rural areas, you know, are more limited in their ability to have access. And like Andrea said, that includes travel and cost and just a burden to their family. And we basically, you know, put limitations to the ability to receive an abortion. We're also just saying that, you know, only individuals who have the resources are able to kind of receive these services. Kind of going off on this, Patients with kidney disease, they can have healthy children and pregnancies with proper support from their medical team, but they do face additional risks. So can you describe those risks that kidney patients face during pregnancy? So generally when we're talking to patients about 
risk. Um, I tend to break it down into kind of the risk of chronic kidney disease on the pregnancy, and then also um, the risk of the pregnancy on chronic kidney disease. So there's kind of two kind of big um, chunks of information there. But in terms of how chronic kidney disease affects pregnancy, there's been a lot more data and a lot more research, I think, in the last decade or so, maybe a little bit longer than that, um, that's been specifically looking at chronic kidney disease in pregnancy. So we know a lot more, but we do know that individuals with with kidney disease, and this is like of all spectrums, right? So chronic kidney disease, kind of women on dialysis, women with a transplant do have higher risk for, for preeclampsia. So these are like hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, potentially up to 10 times the risk of the general population. Um, they have higher risk of early preterm birth that Harriet also experienced. So delivering baby, you know, before full term, before 37 weeks. Babies can have growth restrictions, so not um, growing as appropriately for kind of their gestational age. And then certainly kind of need for things like C-sections, need for ICU care, either for the mother or for the infant. Those are kind of the main pregnancy risks that we talk about. And then kind of that other side of things, we look at how a pregnancy affects kidneys. And so there's also been more data on this and more research on this recently. And we know that kind of individuals who are pregnant, who start pregnancy in late stages, so in CKD stages three through five, which are those who have kind of a uh, EGFR sort of percentage kidney function of 60% or less, can see kind of what we term pregnancy-associated progression of kidney disease. So this is when the time with their kidneys may be shortened. Their, their disease may progress faster if they choose to, to have a pregnancy compared to individuals similar to them who don't choose to have pregnancy. And this, is, this can be a matter of years of time. You know, on average can be up to two to three years. Andrew, anything to add to that? I'll just add that you know, as we get more data about pregnant patients based on their kidney disease stage, um, based on how much protein is in the urine, based on how much high blood pressure they have, and we have more research, we learn more about how much risk um, does each individual have. And, and hopefully um, we're learning more that, you know, people with earlier stages of CKD are certainly more likely to have fewer of these risks than people with late stages of CKD. Overall, to say that, you know, these risks are present, but they're lower for people with CKD stage one and two and lower for people who don't have any protein in their urine or, have, or don't have high blood pressure. And the risks are higher for people with more advanced kidney disease. Harriet, can you tell us how the risks were presented to you and explain how you weighed them? Oh, yes. My kidney doctor definitely told me, well, first off, um, they recommend not even trying for a baby at least a year after your transplant. And so we waited a full year. Like we were, I mean, we, you know, safe sex, all of that. Like we did not want to lose this kidney because we had done so much to get it and it was living donor kidney at that. And so we wanted to definitely take, take good care of it. My nephrologist uh, recommend actually Vanderbilt University Medical Center. She said, okay, I'm going to let you know you, you're at risk of preeclampsia, which I did experience. <laughs> you're at risk of increased um, high blood pressure. What else? What other? Of course, you know, she told me she would work with my high risk OBGYN, but in the long run, between kidney and baby, uh, she would choose the kidney. 
It was funny because my high-risk OBGYN would say between you and the baby, I would choose you. And so one of us just like, I would choose the kidney instead of the baby. Those were the facts that we had to deal with the entire pregnancy. And we actually kept a journal that my three-year-old loves to look at now because we have our writings of like how we felt, how my husband felt and everything like that. Um, the whole time we were like on pins and needles because we didn't know how my kidney function would uh, handle a whole bucket list um, uh, that lupus could come back, uh, which is the actually underlying disease that caused the kidney, which it actually did. <laughs> it came back, unfortunately, and did a little damage to the kidney. But luckily, uh, my creatin is pretty good now. It did go down, but uh, there was a risk of your creatin going up, which is, you know, damage to the kidney. So there was just a host of just risk that I could uh, experience. And uh, we actually went use IVF too. And that's another uh, thing as well. Um, turns out that I had scarring where my kidney transplant was, and that was keeping us from getting pregnant I guess, naturally. And so we actually ended up going through a fertility clinic and they even advised I could go through a gestational sur surrogacy. That's when you know, we create the eggs and we use another, um, use a, a woman to carry our egg. It's still my baby, my husband's baby, but another woman carries the baby. And they highly suggested that, but I wanted to carry the baby. I know it's, it's, it's a risk, it's a huge risk. And so there was that we actually had about, we had three embryos uh, frozen. And so we took some time and just prayed about it and just thought, you know, about what about the risk and all of that. Luckily, my creatin was good at the time. I was, you know, quote unquote, healthy as a kidney um, transplant patient. And so I prayed and my husband said, you know, this, he's, he's pro-choice. He's like, it's your body, you know, I'll support you, you know, whatever you do, you know, just know the risk, I'll support you. And so I prayed and I decided, you know, I'm gonna put it in my faith. I'm, I'm, I am Christian, so I put my faith in, in God, and I prayed, and I said, I'm going to, I think I, God put me in something in me and said, I can carry this child. I don't know about another one, but I can carry this child. And so we did it, and on the first try, um, first round, uh, the baby took, and everybody was, like, shocked. And uh, <laughs> as we held up breath first month, second month, third month, and no complications all the way through uh, 35 weeks, and then that's when things, you know, Everything, all of the, the warning signs my doctor told me about uh, came to fruition. But luckily, I had a good support team, both my local nephrologist I had, my nephrologist at uh, Vanderbilt, and my high-risk um, high OBGYN, or great support system. And uh, luckily, we got the baby out, saved everything. But, you know, it was, it was a pretty uh, daunting experience. And um, luckily, I was lucky that I didn't have any complications throughout pregnancy. I mean, because we knew if there were complications, they would choose me and the kidney and not the baby. So those are just the, the risks that I was willing to take. Am I willing to take them now? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm older. Of course, my kidney uh, is, is also older. I don't want to put any more stress on it than it need be. But um, at the time, I was like, I'm going to go for it. And it was one. It was beautiful. It was beautiful holding, uh, carrying my child and, uh, and all of that. But I, I've had it. I've experienced it and I'm good. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about maybe how you were feeling when some of these complications started to come up and 
a little bit about how you maybe dealt with some of the fear, just so anyone listening, you know, maybe has some ideas of how they can get through something similar. Nothing like a support system. Going through those complications, it was hard. And so having that good support system and, you know, knowing, okay, if the baby is too, too early, you know, they're going to, if any complications to your your kidney happened, which they did, and they, they took the, the baby was like, they were like, baby has to go. Luckily, he was of age where he was viable um, to live outside of the womb. Um, I was, I did hold my breath to like 24 weeks because I think at, at 24 weeks, they're a little bit viable. I was like, okay, give him to 24. But when he made it to 35, I was like, okay. And he came out breathing on his own um, and eating on his own and everything. Uh, a lot of um, preemies don't come out that, like that. And so I was lucky. But those are just some of the complications that, you know, we had to face and really just be prepared for and constantly be prepared for. And so having that good support system, my mom, my husband, my friends, uh, my faith, I relied on a lot um, just to kind of get through those uh, because those are those are the risks that you do have to face and be prepared for um, when doing that. And even I want to say even women who want to go through gestational surrogacy, there's still a risk even when creating the embryos, because, of course, you have to take a host of medicine that could affect your kidney when creating the embryos themselves. When you're trying to when they want you to produce a lot of eggs during your ovulation, there's a lot of risk of even those meds. And so you just have to be sure to talk to your nephrologist and know those risks as well and see if you want to do that. Because of course, it's the worst thing to tell a woman who's trying to get pregnant, but there is also adoption, but you, you don't want to tell a woman who's having fertility issues that because that's the worst thing you could say. But uh, in, in the situation that I'm in, where I have, <laughs> have had a, a baby of my own, you know, adoption is also a choice for us. But just FYI, never tell a woman who's trying to get pregnant. Um, adoption is an option. It's not the thing to say. <laughs> I was just going to say that I think it sounds like with Harriet too, she had a lot of knowledge. You know, we don't tell patients about kind of risks to scare them. We want to like empower them to have this knowledge to make an informed choice. So she had a lot of planning that went into this pregnancy. Um, obviously it was, it was IVF, so that was a whole nother aspect, but just kind of talking to her team, talking to her kidney team, talking to obstetricians, and then just knowing, you know, that they were going to be there to support her along the way. So we talk about kind of the need for abortion care and like mistimed and unplanned pregnancies, but they can also occur and be needed even in planned pregnancies. You know, there's diseases that can flare, kidney disease that needs to be treated with medicines that maybe aren't compatible with pregnancy. Then to just be able to, to have that service and to have the support from your providers, from your, you know, your family and friends, even if you're lucky enough to include them um, in your decisions, I think makes it, you know, maybe a little bit easier, a little bit smoother for you um, down the journey. So that's really, it's nice to hear Harriet's story and thanks for sharing. Thank you. And also a therapist as well. Um, I was lucky to have <laughs> a great therapist who actually, her focus was dealing with women who have illnesses because she had an illness, she has an illness herself, uh, actually kidney disease, and also women with infertility issues. So she was a great um, support system during that time, actually. So therapy as well. <laughs> These are really difficult things to grapple with, decisions and choices, making sure that people have 
these choices and this access to care as you did, you know, high quality reproductive health care planning and support. And that includes, you know, access to abortion care if it had been needed or wanted. And so thank you for sharing your story and how you kind of grappled with these decisions. And I think part of the trouble with um, Dobbs and overturning Roe v. Wade is that it removes some of this decision-making from the individual who's really faced with the decision and faced with these personal risks to their health, to their ability to care for children who may already be at home or to work. And so the removal of that, you know, from the individual was really something I, you know, that really resonated, I think, with Monica and I, and I, it sounds like with you as well, Harriet. As nephrologists, what do you think your role is in talking to, you know, someone who has kidney disease or a transplant and is trying to make some family planning decisions? I think that really as nephrologists, um, it's our part of comprehensive care to bring it up just to begin with, really. Patients need to be informed that their kidney health has an impact beyond just their kidney. <laughs> we care about their kidney or their kidneys. Really, people need whole person care. Um, and, and kidney health does affect your reproductive health. It can you know, at more advanced stages, make it more difficult to conceive. Um, and certainly we've already talked about, you know, the implications of kidney health on, on a pregnancy. It can affect what kind of contraception um, you use and, and what your risks of certain contraception modalities are. So they're really, they interact. And so it's part of our job to bring it up and, and have patients be informed about it. I think as a bare minimum um, and to, you know, give the space for patients to say, you know, what their goals are and, you know, whether that is to have children or to not have children and, and then to help patients, you know, try to achieve those goals in the way that's as safe as possible for them and to know what their options are. So I think that those are kind of some basic standards that I think nephrologists should be providing to patients. Yeah, I agree. I think it's about, um, you know, kind of being open and honest, like Andrea said, kind of having that space for them. I think a lot of patients want to talk about it, but they're not sure how to bring it up or they're worried about what their um, kidney doctor is going to say. So, you know, we should probably be the ones to bring it up first and we should bring it up kind of often and early. Um, there is kind of this idea of finding like the window of opportunity that if like there is a goal to um, conceive and to have a pregnancy, that um, looking kind of early in the disease course, chronic kidney disease is a progressive disease. And so finding that window of opportunity um, with the patient, if they're open, you know, to attempting conce to conceive earlier rather than later um, is hopefully, like we talked about earlier, going to be um, associated with better outcomes. And so kind of working with them, like Andrew said, to achieve their goals, you know, whichever way they are. I am also curious, Andrew, you mentioned... Um when 
taking contraception, that there are things that people with kidney disease and kidney transplants or on dialysis need to consider. So I think if you could explain that just a little bit. Estrogen containing um, birth control methods have some increased risk of clotting and cardiovascular disease. And for most healthy women, these risks are low. Um, but for women with advanced kidney disease, with high protein in their urine, with hypertension, diabetes, um, these methods are probably not the best ones for them. And those are some of you know our most commonly used methods. These are combined oral contraceptive pills, you know, things like orthotricycline. So um, those methods are probably not the best for them. There's not a lot of really rigorous literature about what happens to women with kidney disease who take different types of contraception. Um, but we extrapolate a lot of this from areas of research, you know, in terms of lupus and diabetes um, and, and use it to inform our discussions with patients. Um, so those are a couple of examples where method choice might be guided from one uh, method to another. Yeah, I mean, depending on sort of patient goals as well, like if they really um, do not desire pregnancy in the near term, we talk a lot about the LARC options, which are the long-acting reversible contraception, which are safe for our patients because they um, don't include estrogen. So these are progesterone-only things like the IUD. Um, there's also a copper IUD that has no hormones um, that are safe and, and long-lasting and very highly efficacious um, for patients who don't want to worry about taking a pill. Um, at the same time every day. So those are kind of great options. I think, you know, in addition to kind of the medical limitations that Andrea was talking about, there's certainly cost that is um, a factor and, and access to this as well, because for LARC, for things like the IUD or the subcutaneous implant, it's a procedure, it has to be done in the office. And so they have to be able to um, get in and, and get that done. So um, there's kind of different aspects to kind of what's best for the patient. And just kind of my own personal journey with that, I, I've been through it all. And even the copper, I, I had at one point the copper IUD, and even just far as accessibility, it's very expensive. Um, insurance will only co cover a fraction of the cost. And I think it was like in the thousands, and I'm like, who can afford this? Uh, luckily, um, we were able to pay for it, but I'm um, just thinking about other women who, you know, who can't. Um, of course, of course, when I wanted to get pregnant, it was taken out. And of course, now I had tubal ligation. So <laughs> that's the end of that. But even tubal ligation, you know, is still expensive because uh, there's a down payment now for surgical procedures now that I didn't realize it was now a thing. A lot of women can't afford that. And so there's so many limitations on reproductive health care for women. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with your nephrologist and around family planning? Were there any other clinicians that were integral to, you know, the success of your pregnancy? Uh, my nephrologist is great. I'm going to give her a shout out. It's Dr. Heidi <laughs> Schaefer at Vanderbilt um, Medical Center. She was great because I was also afraid kind of asking initially after we had the transplant. Um, but she was like, yeah, you can do here your risk. And so she was a great part of that team. Also my high risk OBGYN, I give her a shout in Mississippi, um, Dr. Michelle Owens, um, a friend as well. Uh, she was also pretty blatant about, uh, the risk and who she would choose over, you know, the baby, um, although she loves the baby now. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know because they were both women. I don't want to be biased or anything, but both just kind of both women who kind of understand maybe the need for not need for, but some women would love to be mothers um, and just kind of understanding, you know, it's not an automatic block for it. Uh, if you are, if you are a kidney patient, but here are your risk and just being very truthful and honest with me, including death, which is uh uh, something, unfortunately, as a 39-year-old, I've heard a lot <laughs> in my in my day, unfortunately. Um, but uh, through a good support system, I've uh, I've made it. So those those are definitely a great part of my my journey. I am curious. I've, I'm hearing you talk a lot about how they really were like, here are the risks. Um, was there any like support or like excitement for you during this process? Also, in addition to that. Um, from them or anyone else? <laughs> Let's go both. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually. Um, right. Uh, because I think my, as far as Dr. Schaefer, she had a daughter that I believe birthday was around the time the baby was due. And she was like, if the baby makes it past this, this long, I'll be, I'll be, you know, which is actually the 32 second mark. She was like, I'll be surprised, but we're going to root for it. We're going to root for the baby to go past 32 weeks. And once the baby made it past her daughter's birthday, she was like, yay, we did it. Uh, as far as my high risk OBGYN, she, pregnancy went so well, uh, just the pregnancy, not the after, after pregnancy, um, that she, you know, I believe the, during our last visit with her before the baby was about to come, she was like, wow. After this one, when you're gonna have the next one? We were like, what? No. <laughs> so she was she was cheering us on the entire time. Like, yes, you can do it. You can do it. You know, don't be scared. You got this. So yes, yeah, they were definitely my cheerleaders. In addition to my other um, cheerleaders, my family, my friend, my therapist. But yeah, but they yeah, there were some 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 times. My mother wasn't exactly the the happiest at the time when she found out uh, that we were starting our pregnancy journey, but. She cannot live without seeing her grandbaby. He's her only grandbaby, <laughs> first and only. So um, she she loves him. She's actually planning on moving up here from Mississippi just because of him. <laughs> so yeah, uh, even though she wasn't exactly the, the, the best at the beginning, she um, cheered me on after the <laughs> of the fact. <laughs> Hopefully that all came from just, you know, a mother's love and caring. Yes, yes. Including my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law and my mom were just like... <gasps> But now they, they love their <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious, Andrea and Monica, how do you as providers balance that like excitement with the risk when talking with your patients? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And it's nice to hear Harriet's story because I do think a lot of patients hear all the risks up front. And, you know, as the physician, oftentimes I think you know, people don't acknowledge the benefit, you know, to your family life, your personal life, um, that sort of thing. So, you know, I usually just try to start by, you know, hearing what people's goals are, acknowledging what their goals are, um, acknowledging that those are important to me too, and, you know, how trying to figure out how we can support them, because we know that there are um, these intangible, unmeasurable benefits that you have now with your son. It doesn't sound like sleeping through the night quite yet. <laughs> Hopefully soon. You know, acknowledging those things first um, is usually how I try to approach it. And then 
to talk about what those risks are um, in balance with them. I was just going to add that I think, um, you know, as Harriet was describing, it's it's highly anxiety provoking and it's, you know, both first and foremost for the individual who's going to be going through it. But I think on the provider side of things, particularly in individual, you know, who aren't as experienced or don't have as many patients who have um, been pregnant with kidney disease, it's a really high anxiety time for them as well. And so kind of recognizing that intrapersonally, um, if you're feeling, you know, more anxiety about your patient who's going to go through this. For Andrea and I, who see lots of individuals, I think the more experienced um, I've had, you know, hopefully the less like paternalistic or sort of like doom and gloom um, conversation, you know, that it, it's become. And that's because I, th- I think also we, we tend to, you know, remember the cases that don't go so well um, as, and, you know, for every poor outcome, there's, there's plenty of really great outcomes. And so um, I think kind of experience is really helpful if um, you have the ability to see providers who kind of specialize in this or who even have a team. We have a clinic at UNC that is combined with maternal fetal medicine where we see, you know, specifically women with kidney disease. That's great. Not an option for everyone, obviously, but sometimes experience can play a role in that. And then I was just going to say too that I also try to make sure everyone understands that each pregnancy is different. So each individual is different, but each pregnancy is different too. And as Harriet was saying, like, you know, back then she was younger and her disease was well controlled and her creatinine was lower, but now she's a little bit older and her creatinine is a little bit worse. So it, it likely would be a different experience. And so I also try to make sure like patients understand that it's not only, you know, the risks are not just um, concrete and they change and evolve with sort of the disease status as well. Yeah, so very important to discuss your own personal, you know, health with your doctor when making this decision, because it's different from everyone. As we're nearing the end, this this question is going to be for everyone. Um, we can start with Harriet, though. So I would like to know how you advocated for yourself when discussing your goals and hopes and wishes for family planning with your healthcare provider. Um, and then for our nephrologist, how would you like patients, you know, to advocate for themselves? Oh, wow. How did I advocate for myself? Um, one of the things was just being compliant <laughs> with um, what we needed to do is to be a healthy kidney patient. Um, having a great creatine, uh, taking my medicine was an, uh, it's a key point, of course, and just just trying to be as, as healthy as possible, I think, is a good thing to when you're coming to your nephrologist saying, OK, I want to get pregnant. We have a pretty good numbers your nephrologist is more willing to say okay yeah 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 um maybe this is a good something we can do another thing um as far as advocating i think also researching and reading like um before i even brought up the conversation with my nephrologist i i um, done some digging and she had done a paper on kidney patients and pregnancies so I knew that she was uh, at least had some experience in this. And so I did bring up when I did talk to her, I said, oh, I read your paper. And she's like, oh, yes, yes. So just also just kind of really digging into um, doing some research, not exactly just doom, doom searching, but just uh, maybe going to some reputable sites. Also, my father-in-law is a, is a uh, physician as well, which does which helps. So I asked him about it, and he, you know, he kind of gave me his feel, just kind of researching before, and just letting her know, okay, here 
Um, I like to do this. And then also just guaranteeing to her that I understand. Maybe also she having a relationship with her as well. She knew that I was pretty, I don't want to say tough, but yeah, I've been through a lot. I've, I've had lupus since I was 16. Um, and uh, so she kind of understood that I am a go-getter and I don't back down <laughs> too easily. But yeah, that's how I advocated for myself. I let her know that, you know, um, I had a good support system and she knew that. I let her know that I knew the risk. I had already done research on it. Um, I let her know that um, that I was ready for it. Um, and uh, in knowing that there was a huge risk that I could lose my kidney or even death, but I had a good support system. And if I follow everything she'd said, every time she said, every time she did it, I, I knew we would, you know, we would be pretty productive, including up to abortion. So when I think when she recognized that I understood abortion was an option, she was like, okay, <laughs> uh, it's not uh, something that, you know, a best circumstance you want to be in, but understanding that you are willing to do going through this journey, I think is something that um, definitely helped boost my provider's um, assurance in this process. That's what I did. I think that's some great advice. And just having the knowledge to be able to have an informed discussion is mm -hmm. probably makes a big difference. Yeah, I think, I mean, exactly being kind of open and honest about your goals, bringing them to the table, hopefully, um, being empowered enough to kind of do that with your nephrologist. I think also Harry kind of touched on this before too, but having a support system and maybe like bringing them with you if you feel comfortable, whether it's like your partner or, you know, someone who is a friend or family member who can be like another set of ears and sort of listen to the conversation surrounding risk and kind of timeline. I think being open as far as the timeline, um, you know, when to attempt to conceive. So in Harriet's case with a transplant, you know, she waited a year and kind of made sure that things were stable with her kidney. So sometimes there is unfortunately a even longer timeline that needs to occur before someone's kind of optimized to have a pregnancy. And then of course, yeah, being, um, you know, honest about the potential need for termination of pregnancy um, in either like a missed planned or untimed pregnancy or, um, you know, even one that was planned that unfortunately needs to be terminated for, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I will, you know, Harriet obviously has been a very strong advocate for herself. And I, um, I think that having all the knowledge clearly is, has so much power. And, you know, from a nephrologist standpoint, I think um, you know, not every person will feel as comfortable talking about this with their nephrologist. And so having nephrologists also learn more so that they can kind of open the door and make people comfortable sharing these things so that we can make sure that people are getting the care that they want. Self-advocacy things that Harriet did are wonderful. And I think you know, both Monica and I are also advocates for nephrologists um, learning more um, to be able to support people and to be able to really just understand what people's reproductive goals are as well. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. So one of our last questions, um, Monica and Andrea, in the post-Row era where state laws on abortion vary so greatly, what's the best way for kidney patients to know their rights and the services that are available to them regarding their reproductive health and family planning? Um, I was going to mention a couple 
websites that are nice, um, that are, um, you know, kind of easy to navigate and have a lot of information to read from. One is called bedsider.org, and this um, includes a lot about contraception. We talked a little bit about some of the options. Um, it's kind of a general population website, so it's not specific for those with kidney disease. Certainly go talk to your doctor specifically if you are interested in one type of birth control to see if that's safe for you. But this talks a lot about contraception options and then also abortion care. And it actually links to another website called abortionfinder.org that actually has state-by-state -state information, which is really helpful as Andrea was talking about how it's changing and continuing to change um, as far as state legislation goes. And so understanding what your state is doing um, and what the limits are to abortion care. And then even you can even just like type in your zip code to see kind of what is available for you in your area or whether you have to travel for abortion services. I think those are great resources. And I think those are probably the most patient, like broadly patient friendly ones. I think more um, policy level and for people who are like looking to gain even deeper knowledge, places like the Guttmacher Institute, the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation websites are also have um, kind of comprehensive maps that outline what the laws are by state. Yeah. And um, Harry, I actually wanted to throw this question to you, too, since, you know, you're a lawyer in the civil rights. You know, <laughs> please. <laughs> please. What What is your advice, you know, to patients and maybe even in the advocacy, um, you know, arena? So a lot, a lot has changed, of course, since the Dobbs decision. So some of the resources I would normally point to someone and, you know, of course, in Mississippi, I don't really point to them. But as far as I would definitely go to abortionfinders.com, the National Organization for Women's is also a good, a good site to just kind of read up on just general information about women's rights. ACLU of Mississippi, well, not, not Mississippi, but I used to work for them, sorry. ACLU period um, is a good, a good site um, just to kind of catch up on what's going on. Um, I think those are probably good general sites to go to. You know, one kind of potential closing remark is just to remind kind of everyone listening that you absolutely can have a safe and healthy pregnancy with kidney disease. It's about, you know, using the resources that you, that you have, like your kidney doctor and your um, OB-GYN, um, as well as kind of support system within friends and family to, to prepare yourself and surround yourself kind of with the knowledge that we discussed and find that window of opportunity. But it's absolutely possible just like Harriet said, you know, don't ask a woman trying to have pregnancy about adoption. I think it's also important um, to never say never and, and to not say that you can't because you absolutely can. And we can help you, you know, achieve that um, that goal of, of motherhood if that's um, what you desire. Yeah. And I would just stress, you know, these are really individual, highly personalized discussions and situations. You know, we've talked a, a lot about Harriet's journey and all of the decision points that she's had. And, you know, for each person, those are going to be unique, you know, their personal situation, their social situation, um, the resources they have, their kidney disease, um, all of those things go into making this decision. And so this is really why, um, 
you know, we felt strongly that overturning Roe was a harm um, to our patients because it really removes some of that decision making from the people who are really experiencing the the downstream effect of whatever decision um, that they want to make. So our goal is really to support people to be able to make their the decisions that are best for them and their health and to have access um, to the resources that they need in order um, to be able to do that. So I think this was a a good way to highlight how nuanced this really is um, and so how um, difficult it is can be now for people um, now that Roe has been overturned. I was just going to add that I think, um, you know, in writing this paper, we wanted to spark discussions just like this. And so it was really cool to have this platform to be able to talk with Harriet, to, you know, talk to everyone out there um, about this issue and kind of continue discussions in the community. So thanks for letting us do this. Horace, we loved having you here. I think it's very important to highlight that it's there's a lot more than just wanting or not wanting a baby when it comes to making these decisions. So Harriet, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, just kind of um, two, two fronts. On the Dobbs decision, um, I know Andrea mentioned that it limits uh, you know choices, but it also it limits the choices of a community that already that is already limited. When you think about um, a person with kidney disease, you know, you have a sometimes a limited diet, depending on where you are. Sometimes you can't even drink as much. You are limited in where you can travel sometimes, because depending on the healthcare in that certain location. Uh, like, for instance, my husband travels all over the world. Some of the places he travels, I can't travel because of lack of health care. So you're dealing with a community that's already limited and to put another limitation on that, to me, I think it's just atrocious. Um, from the patient perspective, for someone who has had a healthy pregnancy, um, it can be done. Uh, just understand the risk and be willing to um, understand and, and overtake and deal with it, I hate to say that. And if you don't have a community, I know the National Kidney Foundation does have a community for you. You can, uh, they have mentors um, that you can provide, they have people you can talk to, give you a support system. So there is out there. So it is, it is, it can be done uh, with risk, of course, kind of another limitation for a kidney patient. So it can be done. Um, I just hope that uh, one day uh, women all over this country can be free. Thank you for that powerful ending because I think that's that's what we're all hoping is that every person in in the world ideally gets to make their own decisions um, about their own health. So thank you all so much for coming today and sharing your insights and your stories. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Do you have any questions? Email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcasts at kidney.org. We hope you will join us next time. And from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.